Good morning and happy Sunday. I'm actually in a very, very neat place. I am in a bed and breakfast in the mountains in western North Carolina, finishing up a short travel trip. It's a blessing to actually be in nature like this. The sun has not yet come up, and as I record this, and just I can hear the brook in the back, the stream as it flows down the hillside. The sun is getting ready to rise. There's a little bit of haze around. It's just a wonderful place to get away and, and to be to be really immersed in God's creation. It's this sort of experience that so much enforces the reality, the trueness, and the wonder of God and His creation. So I may stop every now and then to have a cup of coffee because I have a great cup of coffee with me here. So I might have a sip every now and then. Uh, we start today in Psalm, we continue in Psalm 57, verse 7. And really it's just 7 to 11. And the point that I got from this portion is we can sing praises to God because our heart is confident in Him. Then we go over to John 5, pick up at verse 16, and as expected, the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for working on the Sabbath. But Jesus said, quote, My Father is always working, and so am I. Now they wanted to kill Jesus, not only for breaking the Sabbath, but equating Himself with God by calling God His Father. And then Jesus goes through and explains the relationship and existence of He and God the Father. This is an interesting section that I think is one of those sections that could use some more unpacking at some point. He says that the Father gives life to those who He raises from the dead, and the Son gives life to anyone He wants. And not sure if the He here is God or Jesus, in the sense the Father gives life to those He raises from the dead. Not sure if the He here is God or Jesus, not sure if it really matters actually, but hang on a second, because I've got an idea coming up in just a moment. Jesus goes on to say that the Son has the authority to judge. So, the coffee is really good. Jesus then reiterates, from 3.16, but slightly different. And this is where this is important. Remember, John 3.16 says, those who listen to my message, well, I'm sorry, here he's saying, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me will have eternal life. Now this is something that I've struggled with in my faith work, that according to 3.16, one must believe in Jesus to have eternal life. But let's return to the he-him thing. Is 3.16 saying that whomever believes in God will have eternal life? Again, John 3.16. Um, I don't have the actual quote here, but uh, if, if you reread it again, if that's the case, it puts a little bit of a different meaning on the Christianity because the central theme of Christianity, of course, is that you must believe in Jesus as God's Son. Now, 
let, let me stop here for a minute. I'm not looking for a loophole or anything. This is just all about trying to understand the word. And actually, probably this is one of those things that you really got to dig into the original translation. So in that sense, I do think that I need to study John 3.16 and 5.24 closer to try to figure that out. Now, also on eternal life, as uh, Jesus goes on, when the dead rise, rise again, quote, those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Now, uh, here it seems as if works are determinate, where Christianity will say that works aren't a determinate, that we are saved by grace. Um, I believe that there is biblical support for works will help determine our role in heaven, if you will. But this is very important because all of this is the central foundation for Christianity. So I'm probably going to have to really think about digging into a study on John in particular. We go now to the Old Testament, Judges 6, Israel did evil. Again, we're having this kind of flip-flop back and forth here. So Israel does evil again in the eyes of the Lord, and they're handed over to the Midianites for seven years, and the Midianites were really cruel to the Israelites, reducing them to starvation. Then, as per the cycle, the Israelites cried out to God for help, and the Lord chooses to send Gideon as a new judge. But here Gideon protests. He's like, why me? Kind of like a little bit of Moses echoing here. Why me? It's like, I'm like the least of my family, which is the least in all of the tribe of, I believe, yeah, Manasseh. Gideon, Gideon is convinced, though, of the divine source of the request through, through a miracle, and that God will be with him. So, he tears down the altar to Baal, or Baal, and builds one to the Lord, but at night. He's concerned about doing this during the day because of the people's reaction, and rightfully so. Because the people confront him the next day, it's like, what's going on? And Gideon's like, look, if Baal is so powerful, then he can go ahead and strike down the one who did this, obviously referring to himself. And that doesn't happen. Yeah, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon in power. I think this is a little bit interesting because we talk about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how it's the Spirit that really guides us. This is not just a New Testament thing, because here we have um, evidence that it's an Old Testament feature as well. Isn't it kind of neat how the Old and New Testament, there are so many places where they just match right up, even though when... When Judges was being written, there wasn't knowledge, experience of Jesus coming. Although that's what the story is leading to, obviously. So Gideon asked God for two more signs, just to be sure of what he was going to do. And God grants those signs. We go over to Judges 7, 1 through 8. Gideon prepped his forces. God wasn't done with him yet, though, as far as... He's convinced Gideon, but now it's like, okay, so how how much do you really believe? So Gideon has an army of 32,000 folks, but first God says to Gideon, look, 
let go of any of those folks that are afraid. Don't need them in battle. You, know, you might think it's a faith thing, a morale thing, whatever, but it's an obedience thing for Gideon. And Gideon says, well, okay, I'll query my men. And he probably wasn't too pleased, or at the very least, he would have been concerned. I, I think I would have been. That of those 32,000, 22,000 are too afraid. They just go. They go home. So Gideon's army stopped to 10,000. That's still a pretty big number, but the Lord wasn't done with him yet. The Lord said, okay, I'm going to do one other thing. I'm going to have you um, have the 10,000 drink. And, and for those that drink using their hands, they're worthy to go into battle. Well, probably much to Gideon's dismay, only 300 met that test. So a 32,000 man force is then became 300 warriors. But God said with these 300 warriors, he would grant victory over the Midianites. And that's it for today. I'm going to go back and finish this wonderful coffee. Probably have another. Watch the sunrise. Listen to the babbling brook. And just relish in God's creation. I would encourage you to do the same whenever you have an opportunity. And of course, always live today as if the king is coming back today. Thank you.